How many are from the Midwest or have had? The, oh, yeah. You see, escaped. Yeah, me too. I'm from <coughs> Iowa originally. So, Where? outside of Des Moines, Iowa City. Iowa City. That's right. So, uh, that was what drew me out to <coughs> the Phoenix area. I came out my spring break, junior year in college, with my mom, and I said, So, is it like this most of the year? Because <laughs> that's good news. So I remember at a young age really not liking the whole idea of being cold. Um, you know what? It's true that we um, have known Doug and Heidi, and we're really grateful that we got to uh, be in their life. And uh, when they came to us and, and started doing premarital, any time that you get invited into people's lives, it's really a gift, right? So they're, sh they're sharing their kind of deepest places. And we also know it's a privilege to be here, that they would trust us to come and speak with you um, today. And we walked in and I was like, I love that there's a place that you can actually break out into a basketball game at any point. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this is part of the men's ministry secret that we don't I know. know. And I did want to announce, <clears throat> I know the men are doing a nine square thing. The women are doing a 10 circle thing. So <laughs> it's a secret about the date and what we're doing, but we're going to do it. A 10 circle thing. Just, just kidding. Um, so we live in Northeast Phoenix, and um, we have four children. Um, Keaton is 26, Jacob is 20, Emma is 18, and Abigail is 15. So we're um, at the end of the high school era. We have a freshman and senior right now. Those are both the girls, two boys, two girls. And um, so it's always interesting when you're raising your children, right? Because there's... There's so many dynamics going on, and you're trying to learn who they are, trying to figure out what they manage and don't manage well. You're trying to understand how God created them, trying to understand that what, what they need in order to move forward in life. So remember, Jacob is our more impulsive child, and uh, when he was uh, pretty young, I remember, okay, I've got to figure out how to help him when we go into different environments because he's a really distractible kid. He's a responsive kid. Um, he has leadership. There's all these great things about him, but when he was real little, remember that I was like, okay, I need to go through the things as we're driving in the car. So as we're driving, I'm like, okay, Jacob, let's just go through the things of when we greet people. What kinds of things do we need to make sure? Eye contact. I need to look at people in the eye. And I go, that's right. And you need to say what, what to them? You need to say hello. Okay. And then what else do you need to do? You need to listen. Okay. So we're going through the whole list of everything, and, and so then we walk into this event, and some, some of our friends were there, and there was a little girl there a couple years older than Jacob. So I was like, I feel really good. Like, we totally prepared him. What's required of this time, right? So I was like, I feel really, like, in good standing right now. Like, we're going to walk in, and Jacob walks up to the girl, and he does all the things. He does good eye contact. He says hello. And then in Jacob's world, what's a real nice affection thing, and I didn't go over this one, is he picked her up and body slammed her. <laughs> no, he was checking her weight first. Like he picked her up, and then he took her down. Just a, a boy greeting when you're three. Right, which he was famous for when he was younger to pick up girls and go, you're not that heavy. Like that was some kind of greeting for him. But he body slammed her, and I saw the whole scene happening before my eyes, and I was like... That's better. This is in a home Bible study group. 
So uh, it, it really set us off as great parents to sort of go, <laughs> Jacob's being raised by wolves. I mean, <laughs> she had no boys, and so she was very rattled by the, the three-year-old male yeah. greeting. Yeah, I was trying to explain to the mom that that was his greeting, that he actually was affectionate and, and, and really liking her. That was his way of doing a good greeting. Yeah. <laughs> It was. That's his love language, body slamming. I don't know if you know about that love language, but it's when you're smaller, it's really good. Um, there, um, yeah, which one? The um, marriage retreat. Oh, yeah, there's a brochure with our picture on I just, it. It's funny because I texted Doug this morning and I said, hey, is there a place <clears> the flyers are at? I can't find them anywhere. And then I was like, oh, well, they don't have the flyer. So then I came in and sat down the front row and I opened it up and I go, they're right in their Look at those people on the cover. How efficient they are. Um, we're doing a marriage retreat. Some of why Doug invited us is we're doing a marriage retreat. We have 15 slots allotted, allotted for... Um, oh. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> God, I've already been upgraded. For your church, and Doug would, wants to make sure that you know that, and he would love for you to be involved in it. It's here in Phoenix at the Wigwam. And we um, love doing them because we feel like it's an investment in your marriage. So um, we'd love to invite you to that. So if you have any questions, you can go to DonnaRenee.com. It's our names. Really original. And, um, and look at where the marriage retreat information is. Yeah, I love the greeting on your sign, Imperfect People Welcome, which uh, is really the only way we know to come anyways. And I would say, um, but we appreciate the greeting. And you know what? The great thing is, too, that's how we can show up. Um, with each other, and uh, at our marriage weekends, um, we you have to be a little bit imperfect to come because we're gonna we're gonna laugh and play and look at some real things together. Um, one of my favorite quotes goes like this: When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's from a little boy, Billy, age four. When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. Right? There's something in the quality that we can sense when something real is happening. When you're really loved, when you're really cared for, um, there's something that is just intangibly true about that experience, right? And... Um, we, uh, we picked a sermon title that, that should confuse us a little bit. Um, the three number one priorities was the sermon title, right? Um, and sometimes it can feel like that. If you've got four kids and some jobs and other kinds of things to kind of go, yeah, I've got so many things to do. I have so many number one priorities. Um, and so uh, we want to we unpack that a little bit with you this morning, this idea of um, three number one priorities sounds kind of unachievable. It kind of sounds divided and hectic and overwhelming. And I think sometimes we can look at our lives and our marriages and our parenting as kind of going, wow, I do not know how to get to all the things I need to get to. I do not know how to be all I need to be. I do not have all the skills or the equipment. So we want to talk about this idea of requirements. And um, how do we, how does that happen in our lives? Um, so we, we're, uh, you know, if you go to college, there's usually some requirements before you can take a class. Um, 
If you go to get a driver's license, there's an age requirement, which our 15-year-old daughter will tell you to the day when she meets that, right? Um, she, she has the calendar date when she meets the requirement. Um, Abigail is 15, but when she was about five, we took her to Disneyland, and she was waiting. Her older brothers and sisters were all go, getting, they were very excited about the Indiana Jones ride, which was a very big ride at the time. We all stood in line, we got to the front, her three siblings were there, and they have a little height requirement right at the front of that ride. And so the guy, you know, we're going through, and the guy stops, and he has Abigail come over, and he goes, hey, just stand right here. And it's a little post that sticks out, and she stands up, and I go, oh, we're good. And he gets out a piece of paper, and he slips it between her head and the post. And he goes, hey, sorry, you don't meet the requirements. I was gonna throw down on this guy, seriously. <laughs> like, we've been in line an hour and a half, this is her first trip to Disneyland, this is the magical kingdom, and you just told her she missed the requirement by the thickness of a piece of paper. And he goes, yeah, that's the rule, sorry. It was not the happiest place on earth at that moment. <laughs> I just want you to know, our, the other, our other three kids were sad, I was super, I don't know if you can hit someone in the spirit of Christ, but I wanted to. Um, but, but we just, and Abigail just had this little tiny tear that just formed and came down her cheer. And so we ended up, we split forces, and one of us went to It's a Small World After All and putted around. And everyone else, um, the good news is that some years later we came back, and Abigail just went again. It was their third time back, and uh, it was a group of high school students. They went to Disneyland. They did one of those crazy all-nighters, drive all night, Disneyland all day, and come back home and kind of be brain dead. And um, when she came in, I go, Abigail, how was Disneyland? She goes, it was great. I go, hey, how was uh, Indiana Jones? She goes, oh, yeah, Dad. I nailed it. You're right? I mean, she goes through now, you know, she's... She's as tall as Renee, but she's still waiting for them to, to call her out. She meets the requirements. But if we don't meet the requirements, right, we can end up in a smaller world, right? And there's a verse we want to look at this morning. Yeah. So um, we have a verse, Micah um, 6, um, 6 to 8. And so we could take a look at that. I think we have it. And if we don't, then we'll look it up because we're flexible that way. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down? This is Micah saying this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand of rams, with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah's asking this question. He's saying, what is the requirement, God? What do you need from me? What is the thing that you're looking for? Because I'd like to bring it to you. And in that time and in that age... He was looking around to say, the other gods require this. What does my God require? And in some kind of subtle way, don't we do that too? What does God want of me? What would please him? What is he looking for? Will the Lord be pleased 
He asks, listen, the Lord is calling to the city and to here. Oh, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's this whole idea of that we come before the Lord and we ask him what the thing is that's inside of us. That we have this deepness inside of us that wants to connect, that wants to align with God's will. That wants to align with these places inside of us that we go, there's something crooked inside of me. There's some kind of place inside of me that if I can touch God, if I can see God, if I can understand God, that he'll begin to align the places inside of me. Well, and even the idea that, um, you know, Micah begins to answer the question before even God does. He has an idea about what a sacrifice would be, right? And the idea of the requirement is that we're getting aligned with God's requirement. We're trying to bring what God wants. We're not trying to bring what we want, right? And there's a sense that we can sort of do that. We had breakfast with some good friends yesterday or Friday. Yeah, Friday. Um, and uh, they were ordering breakfast. They've been married for 30 years. And she was ordering breakfast. And she goes, hey, can he have the crispy hash browns, the real crispy ones, and, and something else? And I was sitting next to him. And he stopped and he goes, I don't like the crispy hash browns. <laughs> They've been married 30 years. Okay, yeah. Thirty years, right? He, like she's got the order into the waitress, and he just turns to the waitress and she goes, "So the crispy ones with the extra?" He goes, "I don't like those. I don't want them like that." And she goes, "You really should. They're so much better." She's telling him what he should like, and he's just going, and he just goes, "Charlotte, I've never liked potatoes like that." She goes. What you should. <laughs> right? The waitress is kind of confused to go, do I bring you what she says you should like or do I bring you what you actually like? But this sense of going, I want, I want to decide what I bring to God. Yeah. As opposed to going, God, what do you ask of me? God, you're going to love these, has, these crispy hash browns I'm bringing. You're going to love it. Look what I'm doing for you. Oh, my gosh, you're going to be so excited, right? We start to fill in the blanks. In, in Genesis 4, Cain and Abel both bring sacrifices to God, and Cain brings one that isn't what God asked. And so God says, hey, you know what? That's not what I asked. Now, you can do it right, and you will totally have favor. But Cain is mad. He's mad that God doesn't want his sacrifice. And God says to him, be careful, king. Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. Right? 
we can get offended because we're bringing something to God that we think he should want and appreciate and love. And if he doesn't, we're offended. We're bothered. Why didn't I get credit for that? Why don't I recognize that? And God says, be careful. Right? There's a, there's a strong way that I want to do it. And that way is my way. And the Bible calls that sin. My way. And he goes, be careful because it's crouching at the door of your heart and it wants to devour you and you and I must master it. Right? So part of, the, part of the idea of bringing a sacrifice is that we're doing it what God wants to do. We're starting with him, not with ourselves. And the first thing that he says is to do justice. Justice is an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, even our country is built on a justice system. Is there something inside of us that wants to know what's right and wrong? There's a desire inside of us that wants to figure that out. But he's talking about this justice system that isn't our justice system. It's doing the right thing. Yeah. Right? What is required of us to do the right thing? But there's this thing inside of us that Jesus even addresses, right, when he's talking in the parables about the people going away and him giving different wages to different people. What's offensive to the, to the people in the parable and what's offensive to me and to us is that God is generous and merciful. And there's this whole idea of doing justice, right? And what God asks us to do is to do the right thing. Yeah. Sometimes in marriage, this is particularly tricky. Um, I've worked as a therapist for a long time. In the first 10 years, when I met with couples, I'd always say, hey, here's a piece of paper. Write down five things that would make your marriage better. And after they wrote it down, I would say, that, you know, I'd say, okay, before I collect them, is there anything on that list about you? Uh, in 10 or 15 years, I never had anyone write down anything about themselves. I did have one woman ask for an extra sheet of paper. Um, she had like 21 things that would make their marriage better, um, but there was nothing on there about her. And the gist of it is to kind of go, you know what, I would, I would do the right thing. I would be a stellar. I would love to do the right thing, but you keep holding me back. That's super convenient in a marriage. I had one guy tell me, he goes, I would be an amazing husband. I would be awesome. I would be a spiritual leader. I'd be sensitive and godly and all that. But, you know, she's such a wench. I can't do any of it. I go, wow, that is a tragic story, my friend. You're not able to do any of those great things because your wife's a wench. Wow, you're quite a survivor, quite a victim. <laughs> we got to put your picture on a magazine somewhere. How have you done it, right? It's super convenient to go, I can't do the right thing because you're setting me up so poorly, because you're not supporting me, because you're not understanding me, right? And we can do it on both sides. I'm waiting for you to do the right thing so I can do the right thing. And God says, you don't ever need permission to do the right thing. You don't ever have to depend on anyone else to do the right thing to do the right thing. If that list doesn't have your name on it, you're not done yet. 
What would make your marriage or your parenting or your family better? If your name's not on the list, you're not done yet. Sit a little longer. You and I can always do the right thing. There's no other requirement. It's about us. I don't do the right thing because I'm proud, because I'm insecure, because I'm sinful, because I'm lazy, because I'm lusty. There's a bunch of reasons. I don't do the right thing, but they all have to do with me. Not with the person I'm next to or trying to love or trying to connect to. They all have to do with me, right? James 4 one says, what causes the conflicts between you? Isn't it the battles within you? That's right, right? If you're not dealing with the battles within you, this stuff that we have between us is really just distraction, right? God says, do the right thing. Start with us and we'll do the right thing. Jacob, when he was in high school, um, he, got a, he had a job at Chick-fil-A and uh, he came home after he'd been there for a few weeks and he said to us, um, mom, dad, do you know about the general public? <laughs> he said, as a matter of fact, we do. So, the general public is hard. <laughs> go, yeah, totally. And I said, tell, it, tell us what, what you mean by that. And so he told us all these different scenarios where people would come in. And there, was a, there was a woman who came in every week that would eat half of her sandwich and then return it and ask for another one. There, there's all kinds of good stories when you work in retail, if you've ever had to do that, right? But he, um, he had this response that Chick-fil-A teaches, right? It will be my pleasure, right? They adopted that a while ago, and that turned their company around, if you've ever heard their story. But he said, it will be my pleasure, and it became part of his language he spoke, right? Because as soon as something unfair happens to us, our immediate justice system comes up. Yeah. When unfairness comes, we want to worship unfairness. And God has this requirement that he says, I actually am asking you to do the right thing even in the face of unfairness. Yeah. Even when that is in front of you, I'm asking you to do the right thing. We love Chick-fil-A because I would say to Jacob, hey, could do you mind picking up your room today? And he goes, it would be my pleasure. <laughs> okay, forget all the parenting seminars. Forget all the books. Forget the whole video series. Make your kids work at Chick-fil-A for about a year. Come up with some cover story. And then tell everyone in your small Bible study group that you, you did Growing Kids God's Ways or whatever you want to do. Just get them to Chick-fil-A. And they're good to go. Yeah, it is, a, it is a funny thing that, you know, we do fall in love with our version of justice. And when that doesn't happen, one of the things in marriage and family, because marriage and family are so daily, and it's so comprehensive, and it's so real. It's, it's the real, most reality-based relationship we'll ever be in. And when you kind of do it, you know, the, and under the Jewish system, you know, it was sort of like, hey, first time you forgive a person, second time you warn them, third time you nail them three strikes and you're out, that system made sense. And when Jesus came in and updated it and said, it's not three strikes and you're out, and they go, well, how many, seven? Peter was really stretching it, and Jesus goes, how about 70 times seven? What are you talking about? Oh, my gosh. And Jesus goes, I want you to love mercy. I want you to love giving someone not what they deserve but what they need. 
can you love that? Can you love giving them what they need? Not just tolerate it, not just comply, but can you love it? Right? And when we comply on the outside and have resentment or bitterness on the inside, that's contaminated. Right? If we just kind of grumble, we do a little, we, when their kids were little, we used to, you know, have little house cleaning things that would put a list up, Renee put a list up, and then you pick an item, and you go and do it, and when you would kind of finish it, you put a line through it. Um, but she started using this phrase, and her kids were doing it, like we'd go, hey, it's Saturday morning, everyone. Isn't it great we have a house? We're going to clean our house. Yeah, what do you want to do? You know, and one of our kids would go, oh, I'll do the bathrooms. And we go, wait, 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 stop, stop. Check your card. Check your heart. Happy hearts. Happy hearts, we're going to go clean the bathroom with happy hearts, right? Because the inside matters, right? When Moses, the people need water in the wilderness, and Moses had been with them 40 years, and he's probably at the end of his patience, and God said, speak to the rock, it'll release the water, and Moses is mad, so he hits the rock. And then God said, you know, Moses, you dishonored me. I wasn't mad at my children. You were. I brought water and provision and tenderness, and then you put a, I'm mad at you. You brought the anger. You brought the justice. I don't want you to love justice. I want you to do justice and love mercy. They were thirsty, and I wanted to give them water. And when you pounded the rock, you were doing that in my name. And I wasn't mad at him. You were. Right? We have to have hearts to love mercy. Right? Not pretend, but real hearts. Right? Yeah. I think part of why Jesus is talking and addressing this in the New Testament about our hearts in 7107 is that he knows what will happen if we, we keep something on the inside but do something on the outside. There's, that's a Pharisee kind of way, right? That's religion. Yeah. And the Lord says, you know what? What I'm most concerned about is the inside of you. Yeah. And in order to love mercy, you have to check the inside of you. Yeah. Because mercy is a source that comes from something else. Someone else than us. Because if you've ever run out of mercy towards a situation, towards a person, towards our world, towards a political system, towards any place, if you've run out of mercy, then you go, I better look at the interior of my life. I should look to see what I'm holding on to because the resentment is actually making my heart hard. Yeah. And he says, when you release people, you'll actually be free to do other things in my name. Yeah. So he asked that of us because he said, I'm not asking it as a rule, as a burden. I'm asking it for freedom. I'm asking it for a place inside of you because if you can dispense mercy to other people, it'll actually be better for your heart too. Yeah. Right? You know, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, one of the parables he tells is a guy who hires a whole group of guys starting from early in the morning till late at night. And some guys work 12 hours and some guys just work an hour. And then he goes, hey, line them up and pay the last guy first. The last guy gets paid the same wage as the guy that worked all day. And as they go on, the guys at the end start to grumble and go, it's unfair. You've made them the same as us. We work for 12 hours and they just work one. And Jesus does it on purpose. He pays them that way. And he says to them, he goes, 
I'm not being unfair with you. What you're offended by is my, is my generosity. That's what offends you. You're saying that I'm unfair, but the truth is, you know what? I am extremely, extravagantly generous. This guy stood for 11 hours waiting to see if anybody would invite him in to contribute. 11 hours he stood there waiting to see if he'd get invited in. And I found him, and I invited him in. I'm paying him for the whole day. He's probably not a very good worker. If he's still there and no one's picked him all day, God goes, I got a job for you, and I'm giving you a full day's wage because you're as important to me as everybody else that contributed. That is generosity. That's the gospel. And you know what? We love it when we get mercy, but we're offended when other people do. standing in line over Easter on Saturday before Easter I ordered a cake from Nothing But Cake and I drove up to the thing and I was like wow there's a line oh is that the line for the cakes the line was probably 40 people out of the door and so I got in line and I go I looked at all of them and I was like I pre-ordered and they all go we did too (laughs) so I get in the back of the line and then people start coming up but they go straight into the door and I go, where, where are those people going? And they go, those are the walk-ups. And I go, so there's people who just walk up get their cake immediately? That makes no sense, the system, right? Praise God, we're standing in line in the system. People start yelling out things like, oh, nice, you can get your cake. <laughs> Happy Easter. She's not exaggerating. If your mom said drop off kids, no, this is a blood sport, right, at school. Yeah, there's a thing that uh, James says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is mercy beats. It's more than fair. It's not less than fair. It's more than fair. And God is generous. He's more than fair to us. Okay, last one we're going to um, look at. Walk humbly with your God. If you take the first two requirements seriously, if you really always do the right thing and you always love mercy, um, you might look like a loser in a lot of situations, Right? You keep doing the right thing, and then you're merciful to people that aren't. You could really look like a loser. And here's what I'd say is that this is God's invitation to us, right? It's God's invitation to us, but the reality is it's not the way our culture works, and it's probably not even good with the kingdom of self, but it works very well in the kingdom of God. 
and it's a different system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Remember that thing you had on that? You wanted to. I think though this whole idea of walking humbly with God is <clears throat> this great dependency that God asks of us and requires of us. Yeah. Because I know for me, what I don't want to look like is a needy person. If you've ever been in a situation where you go, oh, they're kind of needy. That person's needy. They have too much, right? When God comes to the walk humbly part, he says, actually, what I'm setting you up to do is to depend on me. Yeah. I'm setting you up that you're going to run short of these ideas about justice and this place of mercy. And to walk humbly with God would say to God, I have to have you in order to do this. Come on. And the only way we can walk forward in our life is that we have this dependent relationship on God, which means we can say to God, I need you. And if there's ever been a time in your life where you go, we really need God to show up today. Yeah. There's a vulnerability and a nakedness with really needing God. Yeah, that's right. And I know that there's been times in our life when we've needed God to show up, that we're utterly dependent on him. We're like, we know that you're 11th hour God. We know that you can deliver. We know that you can part the Red Sea. We know that you're king of kings. We know that you're the beginning and the end. But we need you today. And I think the Lord in that place goes, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that they would have that kind of dependency on me. But it is humbling to walk that way. Yeah. There's a place of humility when we walk this way. Yeah. Yeah, and if we're really honest with ourselves and God, the requirements of Micah are beyond our capacity. If we're really honest to go, um, have I ever or have you ever always done justice? Have you always brought and loved mercy? Have you always walked humbly with our God? If we're trying to pick that up as a program that we're going to do to earn God's love, we will very quickly become overwhelmed with the fact that we don't meet the requirements of the requirements. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to go on record and say, none of you meet the requirements, us included. You know what? The only one who's ever met the requirements is Christ. Micah isn't describing a program. Micah isn't describing regulations. Micah's describing a person. Micah's describing a relationship of dependency. That's what he's describing. He's pointing us to Christ and kind of saying exactly that. You can't do this. You can't live this way. You can't meet the requirements of God in Micah. And quite frankly, you can't meet the requirements of God in your marriage either or your parenting. It's above your pay grade. I promise you it is. And you know what? It's not just that we're defective. It's that we're designed to be dependent. Yeah. That's right. We're designed to be dependent. If we did it on our own, we'd be all proud. And God says, I don't want you that way. I want you depending on me. I have a provision. I have a, a desire to enter in and bring what you need. And that is fulfilled in Christ. And whether we're talking about our lives, our marriages, our families, we're designed to be dependent on the one who met the requirements. If this becomes a self-help deal, we're going to all burn up and burn out and fall short. 
would admit the things that are coming against us in that way. Yeah. Because when we walk humbly, when we have all these priorities, you go, you know what, Lord, I need you in order to do these things. And I have to admit the things that I'm participating with that do not involve you. Yeah. So I need my heart to be fully yielded, to be fully surrendered to the Lord in order to do that. Yeah. We're going to finish our time, and we'd love to pray. We'd love to pray for us. And what we'd like you to do is consider. We'd like you to consider these areas. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Is there anything that the Lord would go, you know what, I want to work with you on that. Yeah. I want to work with you on doing the right thing. Yeah. I want to work with you on giving mercy to those who need it and don't yeah. deserve it. Yeah. I want to work with you on depending on me and walking humbly with me. Yeah. So what we'd like to do is just pray. I'd like you to take a moment and ask the Lord what he would like to work with you on. If you'd be willing, would you repeat after me? Lord, we confess our independence. We confess our self-sufficiency. Make our hearts soft and pliable. Help us to do the right thing and give mercy to others and to walk humbly with you. It's only in you that we can do this. In Jesus' name, amen.